it is an honor to be with you here this morning, particularly on Father's Day. Uh, there are so many fathers in this room that I love and respect, so it's just an honor and a privilege to be up here on Father's Day. My name is Adam Vietmeyer. I'm one of the elders here. And being up here on Father's Day made me think of when I initially became a father. So as some of you know, uh, Stephanie and I were in missionaries in China for two years, and our first year over there, we found out Stephanie was pregnant. So we're going to have a baby the second year, and the family was very excited. My nephew was extra excited, Alex. He was just little at the time. He was excited because he was going to become a cousin for the first time, but he was particularly excited because he told my sister he was going to have a little Chinese baby cousin. I told Alex, Uncle Adam's going to have a few questions of his own if we have a little Chinese baby cousin. <laughs> so the big day came. It was December 17, 2008, and Mia, my oldest, was born in China. And like here, we got a couple days at the hospital, so we got to get our bearings about us. But unlike here, when we were going to our apartment, there's no car seats. You just hold on to the baby, and the taxi cab just darts through traffic. And we made it safely back to the apartment. I remember we got back there and we laid Mia on the couch and Steph and I are standing maybe 15, 20 feet away with our arms around each other. We're just looking at Mia and thinking, wow, when did we become adults, right? Wow, what happened here? We're responsible for this now. But I remember feeling the weight of that moment. Like, wow, I'm a dad now. And in so many ways, this is gonna be challenging. And in so many ways, it's gonna be amazing. And that has proven true. I've been a dad now for 12 years. I have three daughters. Mia is 12, Macy is nine, and Avery is seven. And it's proven to be exactly that. Challenging in so many ways, and in many ways the best thing that I get to do. So could I ask the fathers to stand today? The dads in the audience, could you stand? Can we give a round of applause for the dads here? <laughs> dads, you can be seated. You deserve that round of applause. You deserve that round of applause because we live in a superhero era of dads. Let me explain. I love Batman. I love Batman because Batman can do everything. If you need Batman to fight the bad guys, he can do it. If you need him to ad use advanced weaponry, he can do that. He can fly a jet. He can fly a helicopter. If the situation calls for it, he can do some civil engineering in the Batcave. If he has to waltz with a beautiful woman, he knows how to do that. He's Batman. He knows how to do all of it. And we live in that era of dads. We do everything. We cook, we clean. I'm pretty sure I changed more diapers than my dad did. I know I changed more diapers than my grandfathers did. Now as dads, we try to stay in shape. We watch our carbs. My grandfather didn't know what a carbohydrate is. Now I'm not saying we're better than those previous generations. We're just in a do-everything generation. A do-everything generation. We work hard in the workplace, and then we come home, and we might help with the meal. Maybe we cook the meal. We help do the dishes. We help with the kids, and then we're supposed to go to bed at night, rub our wife's shoulders, and talk to her about her feelings. We do it all. I've heard the conversations. We're going to put in a new floor. Oh, are you doing it yourself? We're going to put an addition on the house. Oh, are you going to do it yourself? The kids need braces. Are you going to do it yourself? We do all of it the superhero era of dads, and you are to be commended for it, dads. You love your families and you're providing well, but there's a danger to it too. There's a danger to the superhero dad, and that's going to bring us to our scriptures today. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, a small section of scripture that Luke included in here. I'm so thankful he did. It's sandwiched between two more famous passages. You'll find the parable of the Good Samaritan before it, 
you'll find Jesus' teaching on prayer after it, but a small section of Scripture here that, quite honestly, is one of the most challenging Scriptures for me in the entire Bible. Luke 10, 38-42. As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Before we pray, I know what some of you are thinking. It's Father's Day, and I just read you a passage about a couple 2,000-year-old ladies. Well, I told you I was new at this. But I want to ask two things. First, suspend judgment for the next half hour. And then two, humble yourselves. God has something for us here, particularly for the fathers. So humble your hearts. Pray with me here. God, this is your word. We want to hear from you today. We ask that your spirit would meet us here. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, speak here this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to keep it real simple this morning. I get it, it's Father's Day. You have steaks, waiting, or barbecue, or golf, or whatever you're doing this afternoon, so we're going to keep it real simple. We're going to talk about lessons from Martha, lessons from Mary, and then our response. So we're going to start with Martha first. Does anyone else sympathize with Martha? Every time I read this passage, I sympathize with Martha. There's things that need to get done, and Martha is getting them done. You can tell there's a relationship with Jesus here by this point. She's calling him Lord already. There's a relationship, and Martha knows what's coming. The crowds are going to be showing up, and Martha's trying to get things in order and get things prepared. She's getting things done. I think fathers can relate to that. And she's doing good things, right? I feel like the passage would be so much easier to understand if it was Mary chose what was better while Martha was robbing banks or kicking puppies. Martha's not doing that. She's doing good things. She's actually serving Jesus and the disciples. But what does it say? The passage says that she is distracted. She's distracted. Her heart's not in the right place. This good thing is pulling her away from something better. And then she goes to Jesus, and Jesus says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. And fathers, that is why God smacked me in the face with these verses. I see so many fathers in our community that love their families so well, and they are working so hard to provide this amazing life for them. Amazing houses and vacations and experiences, but they are distracted. I see it here at Fox Valley. So many fathers that love their families and are working so hard, but they are anxious about what's happening in the school systems or with the government or what situations. Again, all things that need our attention, right? Things that we have to think about and process and discuss and pray through. But when those anxieties become a distraction and pull us away from what's best, they're not good. And if I'm being honest with you this morning, I see it when I look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror, how many ways I am pulled away, pulled away from something that's best into the things of the world, into the anxiety, into the distractions. Beware the danger of the good. That's what I want to say. Beware the danger of the good. 
There's so many good things out there that can take our attention away from what's best. Beware the danger of the good. And there's actually two things about Martha's situation that scare me. Yes, I actually say scare me as the leader of my family and as a father. They scare me. The first is Martha doesn't see it. She doesn't see it. Jesus is literally in her living room. Jesus is in her living room. I don't care if he's teaching in there or if he's playing Jenga with Bartholomew. You got to be in that room. You can't miss that. You have to be in there. But she missed it. And I ask myself, could I be that blind? Could there be something that good right that close to me and I miss it? And the answer is yes. I can so easily get distracted and miss it. I can so easily get distracted and miss it. And actually, it's one of the enemy's oldest tricks. The enemy will try to pull you away toward good things and put all your attention and focus on it. You can see it a few chapters earlier in Luke 8 in the parable of the sower. People grow up and they hear the word, but it is choked. They are choked by the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this world. Therefore, they don't see the gospel and they miss it. And they miss it for eternity. I have news for you. Satan is not all that creative. Crafty, yes, but not all that creative. He tends to stick with things that work. He will use the same strategy against believers. He may have lost us for eternity, but he will use the same strategy to try to choke out our fruitfulness with the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this world. Now, let me be clear. Satan doesn't give us good things. We know that from Scripture. All good things come from God, but Satan distorts them. He'll change them. He'll tempt us to turn our affections on the things of this world so that all of our time and focus and attention goes to the things of this world and we miss out on something better. Do you ever wonder why over COVID you were able to binge five different shows but it was difficult to finish a book of the Bible? Or why over the last three years you've completed six home projects but you still haven't asked that neighbor to come to church with you? It's because Satan's not scared of Martha's. He's not scared of Martha's. There's no opposition there to these good things. So often we choose the good things that are right in front of us because they're easy. But there's something better right there that takes a little bit more effort, a little more intentionality and focus, and we miss it, and it's right in front of us. The second thing that scares me about Martha's situation, Jesus doesn't come and get her. I feel like the passage would read so much differently if it said, then Jesus came into the other room and he said, Martha, Martha, you're missing out. Mary's in here. I'm teaching in here. Come on in here with me. But he doesn't come and get her. Why? Because Martha should know better. Remember I said there's already a relationship here. She's already calling Jesus Lord. Martha actually is one of the few people in the Bible that confesses Jesus as Christ and the Son of God before his resurrection. You can read about it in John 11. Martha should know better. It's clear that Mary made a choice and Martha made a choice. I think sometimes we paint this incorrect picture of Jesus. We think about Jesus leaving the 99 and going to find the one. And he does that. We think about Jesus being patient with us and always being there for us, and he is. But there's also plenty of times in here where Jesus calls out people that should know better. The Pharisees who knew the scriptures back and forth, he calls them out, you should know better. The disciples who walked with him for three years, you should know better. 
There's several times where he calls them out. We should know better too. We should know better too. How many of us have sat under the tutelage of Pastor Tom for two years, five years, 20 years, and we're still wallowing in the same sin? Or this is still collecting dust on the shelf? We should know better. Matthew 16, 26 says, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? But I suppose the question to you here this morning, what good is it for a man to have his soul saved and then spend his whole life trying to gain the world? Do you understand the point I'm trying to make? It's as though we've been handed the keys to the kingdom and all we want to do is tinker in the garage. It's as though we've been given keys to the tank so we can really do some damage and gain some ground for God and all we want to do is update the flooring in the bunker. John Piper says it like this in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. Oh, how many lives are wasted by people who believe that the Christian life means simply avoiding badness and providing for the family. So there is no adultery, no stealing, no killing, no embezzlement, no fraud, just lots of hard work during the day and lots of TV and videos in the evening during quality family time and lots of fun stuff on the weekend, woven around church, mostly. This is life for millions of people, wasted life, where we're created for more, far more. So what's this more? What's this more that we were created for? Well, I think Mary's on to it. Mary gets it. We're looking at Mary now. Jesus says, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better. So what's this something better? What did Mary find? Well, it's him. It's him. She chose him. It's his presence. He is her portion, her prized possession. It's being with him and hearing his words. It's that relationship and fellowship with him. Psalm 27, 4 says this, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, to just be with him. Psalm 19, 9 and 10, the, ordinance, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Do you know why Pastor Tom goes on and on about dwelling in Scripture? It's because this is better than your 401k. It's better than your house projects. It's better than the new show on Netflix. This is better. And sometimes it takes discipline to stay in there, but watch as discipline turns to delight. Watch as God changes that. Think of how God changed the word for Andre, and now it's a delight to him. Do you see that? Paul understood that Jesus was supreme in his life that Jesus mattered more than anything. He said in Philippians 3, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And that was Paul's purpose. As he ministered to people, it was that we might know the mystery of God that is Jesus, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is it. He's the prized possession. And look where Mary sits. Look at where Mary sits, the proper place for a disciple, right? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
Pastor Tom always talks about that posture. Palms up, a heart posture of full surrender, waiting to hear from him, to be led by him at his feet. Billy Graham was interviewed later in his life by Christianity Today, and they asked him, if you could, would you go back and do anything differently? And Billy Graham started his answer like this. He said, yes, of course, I'd spend more time at home with my family, and I'd study more and preach less. Billy Graham, who's accomplished more than most of us could ever dream for the kingdom, I would study more and preach less. Do you know what I hear there? When he says study more, he's not talking about some academic pursuit. He's talking about sitting at the feet of Jesus, knowing him, and then letting that permeate everything he does, right? Know Jesus, spend more time with my family. What a beautiful picture. You know who is good at this? My good friend Paul. My good buddy Paul is terrific at this. Paul and I grew up, we were friends since we were babies, just since we were boys. Grew up through life together in each other's weddings. Paul never had a lot. He had a good family, but he had some struggles as a, as a kid. He never had a lot in the way of possessions, but Paul always had this joyfulness about him. Paul grew up, got married, had kids. He became a pastor of a small church. Paul always kept a simple perspective, love God and love people. I remember in the midst of COVID, sending some texts with a few of my buddies. I was complaining about COVID and everything happening. And Paul replied back and he said, you know what, in the midst of all this craziness and all the difficulties of what's going on, I've been doing this with my boys, he said. I've been looking for one thing, one thing during the day, one thing that we can be thankful for. And then we pray about it. We thank the Lord for it. We talk about it. We laugh about it. What a beautiful perspective. Paul was a good dad. Paul was a great dad. So Stephanie and I were on vacation with the girls over Memorial Day. We're in Kentucky. And the phone calls start coming in. And one is from Paul's wife. Paul passed away of a heart attack at age 40 on May 28th. And when we're at his funeral next weekend, no one will be talking about how much money Paul had. No one will be talking about how many house projects Paul completed. We'll be talking about how God loved, how Paul loved God and loved people. And there's a boldness to Mary too that we need to talk about. We don't give Mary the credit she's due. Mary's a first century Jewish woman. She's a first century Jewish woman and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, hospitality would have been ingrained in her since she was little. As a first century Jewish woman, she would have lived for that. I don't think she was naive. I think she saw what Martha was doing. I think she knew the crowds were going to be coming, but she was so enamored with Jesus, she couldn't help herself. She had to be there. And she was so bold that she went against the, against the cultural norms. A first century Jewish woman sitting at the feet of Jesus with all the other men, countercultural, but she couldn't help herself. She had to be with him. You see, there's a passivity to what Martha's doing. Martha's doing things and taking care of tasks, but there's a passivity to it. She's trying to please people and keep up appearances where there's a boldness to what Mary's doing, a boldness for Lord. And if we're sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him, it will often lead to that. It will often lead to countercultural boldness. 
Look at when Moses sent out the 12 spies. It was Caleb and Joshua who remembered God's promises and had their eyes focused on him. Therefore, they weren't distracted by the size of the people in the promised land. When David ran to meet the giant, he wasn't distracted by the size of Goliath or the army behind him. He was zealous for the Lord and his name. When Daniel knelt to pray, he wasn't anxious about the laws in Babylon. He just wanted to be with the Lord and honor him. When Stephen gave his scathing speech to the Sanhedrin, he wasn't worried about what the Sanhedrin might do to him. His eyes were focused on the Lord. And quite literally at the end, as he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, as they stoned him and killed him. And I want you to know, Fox Valley, I've seen it here too. I've seen it here. I have seen men and fathers in this congregation that have prioritized the one thing. They've prioritized Jesus, and I've seen it affect their lives that it permeates everything they do. I've seen fathers here that have stepped up and brought in the orphan. They've fostered children and adopted children and brought them into their family. I've seen fathers here who have been blessed financially, and they have given back to the church in amazing ways. They have brought family members into their home. I've seen fathers who have left their comfort zone and gone on mission and given up vacation time and gone to other parts of the world to bring the truth of the gospel there and to serve and love. And I've seen it in everyday ways too. I've seen it in everyday ways. People that are prioritizing the word and getting in there. People that are teaching their kids how to read the Bible, how to study it, and how to pray. I can't tell you how many everyday ways my own father taught me just by he lo- loving God and then the way that he treated my mom and my sister and me. Lessons about humility and patience and kindness and gentleness. So what's our response? So you see... We have Martha and we have Mary. How do we respond? Well, I don't want you to stop being superheroes. I just want you to be a different kind of superhero. Don't stop being superheroes. Be a different kind. Don't be a superhero that's known for all the house projects you're able to get done or how diversified and big your portfolio is or even how great the vacations were. Be a superhero that prioritizes Jesus first and then that permeates everything else that you do. It permeates everything else you do. But you're going to have to be purposeful because it's going to be a fight. The world wants to pull you in this way and Satan wants to pull you in this way and get you distracted, worried and upset and caught up with the things of the world. I hesitate to give too many practical applications here because I don't know how the Holy Spirit works with you or how he leads, but let me give a few, a few that might spark some interest or ideas. So, if you're struggling to connect with the Lord in the morning, don't make your phone your alarm. Make your watch your alarm or buy an alarm clock and put it on top of your devotional or Bible. Don't start your day with work emails or Fox News or CNN. Don't. Start it with the Lord. Or maybe you're struggling to get in the Word throughout the day. Put a Bible in your car. When you're 10 minutes early to pick up your daughter at soccer practice, it doesn't have to be 10 more minutes on your phone. It can be 10 more minutes in the Word, meeting with Him. Or maybe you're just forgetting God throughout the day. You're forgetting Him. 
set a daily alarm clock for 3.16 p.m. every day. 3.16, the alarm goes off, and it's that reminder, wait a second, God loved me enough to send his son. Eternity awaits, and that reminder that he's with you. Or maybe you're losing the battle to the screens. As fathers, we all know how difficult that can be. Get vigilant about it. Thursday night, that's it. Thursday night, you go home. The phones go away, you unplug the televisions. We're going to play a family board game, or we're going to go bike and get ice cream. We're going to go shoot hoops. We're going to spend some time praying together. We're going to talk about our weeks. Be a father who leads with Jesus first, and watch how that permeates everything you do. Now, if you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm hearing the message now. I just have to do a little bit more of this. I need to read my Bible more, be with my kids more, and do it on top of everything else that I'm doing. Nope, you're missing it. That's a Martha response to the message. Stop being a bunch of Marthas, if I can say that in love. Stop being a bunch of Marthas. That's a Martha response. This is not a do more message. This is a reprioritize message. Put Jesus first and then watch how it changes everything. And watch how it changes everything. Now, this may shake up your life. It may get completely different. The Holy Spirit may be stirring something in you and you might want to do something completely different. Be open to that. Pray into that. Talk with others about that. But it also might be that you do a lot of the same things you still do. You just do them differently. So you still go to work in the same job, but now Jesus is on your mind first. So therefore, my work is different. It serves a different purpose. I'm honoring Him in it. I'm ministering to others in it. Maybe you still coach the baseball team, but now it's not just about teaching them to turn double plays. It's still that, but now I want to point these boys toward Jesus. Or I want to invite that new family that came to the team over for dinner so I can discover their story. Maybe you still binge all the Marvel movies with the kids. Okay, but maybe the conversation becomes different. It's not just about how great the acting is or the special effects. It becomes a conversation about there's something in us that longs for heroes, that longs to be rescued. And then you ask your kids, why do you think that is? And then you tell them about the real hero of the story and how when he comes back, it'll be a thousand times greater than any Avenger showing up on the scene. Let Jesus come first and permeate everything you do. Do you know what God can accomplish through men and fathers that put Jesus first? Amazing things. Peter walked on water. He walked on water. It wasn't until he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the waves that he sank. But when his eyes were focused on him, he walked on water. God can do amazing things through you. And here's the last thing I want to say. It lasts. It lasts. If you look at the end of our passage, Jesus says, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. It means it won't be taken from her right then. Jesus isn't going to send her to work with Martha and it means it won't be taken from her ever. Ever. There's an eternal importance to meeting with Jesus. It lasts. It endures it won't be taken from us. You know, in 150 years, no one's going to care about your house projects. 
I hate to break it to you, dads. The house will either be torn down or they will have redone it. And that diversified portfolio that you built, the money won't be yours anymore, you'll be dead. And it probably won't be your kids anymore either by that time. Those things will fade away. But meeting with Jesus, meeting his feet, being led by him, it holds an eternal quality to it. It lasts, it endures. It won't be taken from you and it won't be taken from your children. It will last. So may we be fathers and men in a congregation that puts one thing first, Him. The one thing that is needed, the one thing that is necessary, the one thing that lasts. Let's pray. Father, we're not up here just saying words, Lord. This is Your Word. One thing is necessary. One thing is needed, and it's You. And God, I ask that You would And print that on our hearts, God. Put it on our hearts. Help us to walk with you as we go from here, God. And I ask that you would bless these men and fathers here today. Encourage them, Lord. Encourage them. May we walk with you all the days of our life. And our kids as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.